Hello and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean, pastor of Sacred City Church. And today we are coming at you with another Theology for Everyone podcast. And I'm here with all of my pastoral residents. Guys, say hi. Hi. Hello. How's it going, everyone? Yeah, you know them. And we are continuing our study through the Westminster Confession of Faith. And we have, the past few times, we've been looking at just the first article or the first chapter, and that's on the Holy Scripture. So the first chapter is all about um, Scripture. What is Scripture? Um, What's contained in Scripture? Um, What do we consider to be Scripture? And uh, we've looked at a lot of different things um, so far. We've talked about uh, the Old and the New Testament and the books of the Bible, the canon. We've talked about the authority of the Scriptures. Um, We've talked about uh, everyone needs the, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to properly interpret the Scriptures. And today we're coming to Article 6 in Chapter 1. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, read. I'll go ahead and read it first uh, all the way through. And then um, we can break it down section by section. We can uh, bring out some, uh, some scripture proofs and see where they got this from. Just to remind everyone, the Westminster Confession of Faith is not divinely inspired, but it is godly men, godly scholars, godly pastors who come, came together and um, tried to create a, a mini systematic theology for the every everyday person. And we want housewives and carpenters and bankers and just everyday people to be able to understand the Bible in a better way. And so that's why we're working our way through the Westminster Confession of Faith. And this is just one of the easiest, most accessible ways to do it. And so one, uh, I would recommend you can download the Westminster Confession of Faith for free online. You can go to Amazon and buy a little pocket edition. That's what I carry around with me in my bag. A uh, little pocket edition. That's what I'm going off of today. So I'm going to go ahead and read um, ch- chapter 1, verse 6. Here it is. So what is the Word of God? The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture, or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. Nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word. And that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the church, common to human action in societies, which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence, according to the general rules of the word, which are always to be observed. Okay, it's a long passage. It's a good chunk. It's very, it kind of reminds me of the Apostle Paul, the way the Apostle Paul writes. It's just very dense. And so... Um, we're going to go through this section by section and pull out some scriptures and then talk about the implications. All right, so let's, um, Bryce, I want you to go ahead and read that first sentence. It's a long sentence, but go ahead and read, read that. Oh, the confession? Yeah, read that first sentence. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory. Pause. <laughs> okay, first thing. What is scripture for? Right? What is Scripture for? It says, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory. That means there is nothing we have to know, like uh, there's no other necessity that we need to know about God for His own glory that we're going to have to, you know, we can go to Scripture to find it. Mm-hmm. Anything's necessary about God, we can go to Scripture to find it. Okay? Keep reading. Man's salvation, faith, and life... Is either Let's pause. Okay. okay. So, the, the, a key word there is necessary. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life. So, everything we need, everything that's necessary for us to live a good, godly life, 
to understand faith, to understand how to be saved, to understand God, where do we find it? The Bible, scriptures. Do we need anything else other than scripture? No. Absolutely not. We don't. Okay, go ahead. Keep reading. Is either expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequence may may be deduced from scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the spirit or traditions of men. Okay, so here we've got a very wise sentence, and it says, everything we need to know about God, about life, about faith, about um, man's salvation, we can either, it's either a consequence, so it's either expressly set down in Scripture, so it's very clear, we we can see it, or secondly, it can, as a consequence, maybe deduced from Scripture. So there's some things we can just logically deduce from Scripture. <clears throat> Excuse me. That the Scripture might not be clear on it, but it sets a principle, and that we can work from that principle to build out um, the rest of our theology or other things that, that are necessary. So, clearly, how to deal with technology, right? Now, God never tells us how much time we should spend on our phone, but there's principles in Scripture that we, could, uh, we can deduce um, other principles on how to deal with, with technology on, okay? Things like that, okay? Um, it says, under which nothing at any time is to be added. So we talked about the canon is closed already. We're not to add to Scripture. Whether Here's something interesting, though. Whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. All right? Let's go to uh, a few Scriptures there. The one we've been hitting every week that I want to keep hitting because it's important and... Um, and we should memorize it, is 2 Timothy 3, 15-17. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, so when it comes to making disciples and, and being equipped and uh, learning and learning about God, learning what kind of godly men, what do we need there? What, is this, what does it say? Scriptures. Mm-hmm. 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 So we don't need any bestseller books. We don't need any quote-unquote leadership books. We don't need any uh, help from the culture on this. Mm-hmm. Everything we need to make disciples is in Scripture, right? And so, and Scripture is breathed out by God, and so it's it's the only rule of faith and, and practice that we have. We don't, we can't, uh, we don't have any other other rule of faith. So, would you even lump in like a killer sermon or like awesome preaching every week? Like those are also thing. Are those also things that are not? I don't know, like in the same kind of line as the bestseller book or like... Well, yes and no. If you're talking about a topical sermon, then I would say, no, we don't necessarily need that. Mm -hmm. But that topical sermon could be, should be what? Filled with scripture. Deduced from scripture. scripture. You should be based on a text and then you're deducing that whole sermon off the text and so, no, that's that's based in Scripture, right? So we, mm-hmm. we, we would need that, and Scripture tells us that. I mean, that's what Scripture's for, right? Mm-hmm. For reproof, for teaching, for correction. Mm-hmm. So a, a sermon can be doing those things, but it's still based on the Word of God. But this is why we preach verse by verse through the books of the Bible, because we think every single word of God is divinely inspired and 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 necessary for us to, to work, work our way through, yeah. right? So the confession works as like a good reading and sermon guideline for like kind of both and, right? What do you mean by that? So like for your own personal reading, like for your like in your quiet time or whatever, you don't need an awesome you don't need an awesome book by John Piper because you have the Bible. Now the Piper book may help, but Yes. Supplemental. And, yeah. And then but then it also works as a good guideline for a sermon to listen to or to preach because you want to stick to the scripture. It's the same thing as in a sense reading yes. the scripture. And sometimes scripture, we need to we need 
many of us, maybe we, we read the scripture and we can say the scripture, and we're going to get to this in a minute, but maybe we don't know how to take um, <clears throat> the and says and necessary consequent may, may be deduced from scripture. So sometimes we don't know how to unpack the scripture in its original context and take the lessons that we learn from it. Mm-hmm. And so we need a theologian, we need a scholar, we need a pastor um, to help us do that. Mm-hmm. You know, say, here's the scripture. This is what that means. This is what that means for your life. Yeah. But the foundation is 100% in scripture. Right. Yeah. How do you, how do you encourage some of those, uh, you know, new, new coming, they're believers, and they're trying to, you know, change from their regular tradition life of having solid traditions with their family to try to line that up with scripture. Like how, what's some what's some regular rhythms of, of ways that they can do that? Oh man. So right there in this it says unto which nothing at any time is to be added whether by new revelations of the spirit or traditions of men. So the scripture talks about tradition that we've received from godly parents is important mm-hmm. and it has value. And there's even tradition that we've been passed down from the centuries through the church that aren't expressly said in scripture that are important and they're value, valuable, but they're, they're secondary to scripture. And so they should always be submissive to scripture. So they're always open for challenge, okay. right? So that's one thing we should be building our lives, the way we make disciples, the way we are men, the way we love our wives, the way that we lead our children, the way that we lead a church, all of that should be based on firm convictions and from the scriptures. But anything that's not expressly put down in scripture, we should be open for that thing to be challenged. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the easiest way I can, I can answer that. Would you go to Galatians 1, 8 and 9, Alex? Galatians 1, 8. But even if we are, even but even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again: if anyone is preaching to you the gospel contrary to the what you have received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Okay, so this is interesting. When the Westminster Divines were writing this, they were writing this in response to the way the Catholic Church was saying that their traditions were on equal footing as the Word of God. So if you've ever been to a Catholic Church, there's all kind of stuff going on in that service that's not expressly, uh, you know, commanded in Scripture. And Martin Luther and Calvin and these guys were saying, um, that's tradition of men. We're not saying it's terrible, but it's not based on the word of God. And so that's not, you can't bind our conscience with that. Okay. So here they're saying, no, it's got to be expressly written in the word of God. That's our, our conscience is bound to the word of God. That's what, that's what Luther said when he was demanded to recant. He said, I cannot recant. My conscience is bound to the word of God. And so um, so we, I don't think most of us struggle with that anymore. Um, our, cl- our country, our culture, we've been loosed from a lot of those um, uh, bondages to tradition. And actually, in un- more of an unhealthy way, we've rejected all tradition. I grew up, when I came to faith, my pastor would tell me, he'd be like, you know, everything's based on tradition of men, blah, blah, blah. We just follow the spirit. We get rid of all tradition. And so you walk into the service and it just feels like a free for all. <laughs> I mean, it's just hop, you know, hot and hollering and crazy songs and pastor comes in on a Harley and all, I mean, just all kind of goofy stuff that, that goes on, right? Cause we're loose from the traditions of men. Well, interestingly enough, he doesn't just say, the traditions of men. He also says whether by new revelations of the spirit Mm -hmm. or traditions of men. And I think this, the former there is, is where our culture errs more often. Mm. Like we're all, we kind of think, well, you know, I don't need the church. I don't need liturgy. I don't Mm. need the traditions. I don't need, you know, um, organized religion. I just follow the spirit. 
and this and and we've kind of equated our own personal revelations with the scripture right we have whole movements of this the bethel church even stephen furtick a lot of charismatic people that oh god told me this god told me this god told me to marry this person god told me to marry that person now in some sense you could say okay that maybe that's an inward illumination the lord is speaking to you but you're you cannot say that in the same with the same confidence that you say, "Thus saith the Lord." Mm-hmm. I've had people, many people, say, "The Lord told me, you know, this is the one for me," <clears throat> and uh, you know they're sleeping with their girlfriend, and it's the Lord's will. I'm like, uh, "No, it's not." If you think a spirit told you that, well, I'll tell you where that spirit came from—the <laughs> devil, right? Because mm-hmm. the spirit never contradicts Scripture, mm-hmm. right? Spirit never contradicts Scripture. The spirit. Well, we're about to see that in this next. Set. Well, go ahead. Did you? Did we? Did we do Second Thessalonians two? Not two? yet. No. Okay. Go ahead and read that one for us. <clears throat> now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Mm. Okay, so here, the apostle is saying, there were, in his day, there were some people that were writing supposed letters in his name. They were receiving visions and revelations that were supposedly from God that said, whoops, you missed it. <laughs> you missed the eschaton. Jesus has already come back. Sorry, you, you missed the plane, right? You, you, missed, you missed the time. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't let your, what was it, spirits be troubled or something like that mm-hmm. over these letters or over these messages or over these visions. Say it again, Bryson. Yeah, quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, uh, either by a spirit or a spoken word. Keep reading. Or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Keep reading. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who oppresses all, who oppresses and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. All right, so here's the deal. How many books have been written? How many internet prophets are out there that claim to know when the time of the Lord is, right? Mm. A lot. When I was when I was a kid, I remember a guy coming speaking at our church. Eighty-eight reasons that Jesus is coming in nineteen eighty-eight. Long sermon. <laughs> 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 For real, dude. And I was nine years old, but oh, I remember it because it scared the living hell out of me. I'm like, oh man, it's co- Jesus is coming right now, and I'm a little sinning punk. I know I'm a sinning punk. I'm in trouble. <laughs> Even though, what did Jesus say about the day of the Lord? Nobody knows the day or the hour. Nobody knows the day or the hour. This guy claimed he did. So his revelation, right? He claimed to have the same knowledge, the same type of revelation as Scripture, right? How'd that go? He's 30-something years off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, more than that, yeah? Because Jesus ain't coming, he hasn't come back. And there's been guys since then that said the same thing. So we have to be really careful. Now, here's how it looks in practice. We really, really want something, and then we just feel that the Lord has said, mm-hmm. you need to do that. Yeah. The Lord's told me I need to take this career. The Lord told me to get a divorce. The Lord told me to buy this house. The Lord told me to move out of my church and move to another country or move to another city. And then you dig down into that, and you're like, oh, wait. Um, it sounds like, oh, I mean, it's a higher paid job. Oh, okay. So you just really wanted to do that. Yeah. You don't say, we have to be really careful when we say the Lord is telling me this. Have you seen Greenleaf on Netflix? No, never heard of it. Dude, it's about a, a mega church in Memphis and the whole show, they just say, I feel like the Spirit's telling me to do this. And it just so happens to be the thing that they really want to do anyways. And, yeah. yeah and now listen, we're about to see it in a second here. This was, this was informed, this, this doctrine here was really informed by Calvin's Institutes. 
And when most people think of John Calvin, they think predestination, election. They think cold, stodgy, long-bearded theologian. Um, one of those is true. He's, he was long-bearded. <laughs> but he is primarily along, among theologians known as the theologian of the Holy Spirit because his writings in the Institutes were far, he wrote far more about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit in salvation, the role of Holy Spirit in the illumination of the scriptures, the role of the Holy Spirit in strangely warming the heart and our affections than he did of predestination and election. Hmm. It's just pre- predestination and election was, was a little more controversial in his day and age. So when I, I said that because it's okay to say, I feel the Lord might be leading me in this direction, but what, what should we do with that? Those feelings, what should Third we do with scriptures. That? Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe not even ourselves. I mean, ourselves, yes, but we should also say, hey, brother, hey, pastor, hey, MC leader, this is what I feel the Lord's leading me to do or to say or in this direction. What are your thoughts on that? We want to welcome other brothers into it that have other eyes and other perspectives on the scriptures that can say, oh, I think you're missing this one point, right? I think mm. you're forgetting this scripture, forgetting that. And so we should be able to, so we can say the spirit is leading us and we can follow the spirit's leading. We're called to do all those things, but we have to be really careful that we're not equating any personal feelings we have or personal revelations or dreams or whatever with scripture. Mm-hmm. I think it's good too that you hit on like like the gospel-centered family piece of like community because it's easy for us to go to that one good friend that we know that's going to tell us everything that we want to hear yeah. or disagree with us right away. Yeah. So I think and honestly, true. most people in our society are biblically illiterate. Mm-hmm. They don't know what the Bible says. So, unless you're going to a friend that's got a solid biblical knowledge, then you're not actually getting good feedback, yeah. right? Because the scripture is the only rule for life and faith. Just real quick to really focus in, what are the dangers, I'd say the spiritual dangers, of either trying to go it alone with the spirit or with a spirit or over-reliance on church tradition? Oh, man, it's a great question. So there's two there. Great question. First one, what's the danger of going it alone? First off, we've got to hold some some other things um, together. And that is, uh, apologists say, and theologians have said, there's only one, or not maybe not only one, but one of the easiest doctrines, biblical doctrines to prove, is the doctrine of sin. <laughs> like you can scientifically prove the doctrine of sin because every single human has sinned, mm-hmm. right? Every, and so we have to know the human propensity to sin. The Bible talks, and we need to have a really good theology of sin. So sin talks about our heart being darkened, our eyes being darkened, mm. our heart being our heart uh, being hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That sin causes us to lie to ourselves, just mm. to, to deceive ourselves. And so when we want something, um, it's very easy to figure out a way to get what we want, and to self-deceive ourselves. Like, I always tell people, um, you know, people that are always like, follow your heart, trust yourself, go with your gut, that whole philosophy. My wife just shared with me a meme that one of her friends posted, and it was something along the lines of like, you know, your opinion is the only opinion that matters. That's all (laughs) of it. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, and it was like flowery font and all this stuff. I'm like, Mm. you realize that's what serial killers believe, right? (laughs) Like they're real, like society can't define my morals for me. I can kill and rape and pillage. Who are you to, 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 to tell me how I should live? That's the, even though it's in a flowery font and it's posted on Pinterest or whatever, that's literally what, what freaking psychopaths believe. Like you sound like a sociopath. (laughs) And so we have to yeah, dude. I, I, it's cute, so they run with it. Yeah. <laughs> so true. I, I told my wife just to, just to uh, tag underneath, said a sociopath. <laughs> you know, just because that's the reality. So we have to know our own human propensity to sin, to deceive ourselves, to try to get what we want. Mm-hmm. We have to hold that thing. Um, and, and we have to hold on to that. And we have to say, okay, you know what? I, in humility, so that that creates a huge sense of humility in me. That I don't know what I need. I don't know what's best for me. 
I've lied to myself more than anybody else in this world has lied to me. Right? Oh, I can do that. No big deal. It's not going to be a big deal. Oh, I can handle that. Oh, I think this is a good decision. Oh, I think the Lord's leading me that direction. I've lied to myself more than anybody else has. So why should I trust myself? Mm-hmm. So that humility leads me to trust the Word of God and the people of God that God's placed in my life and my mentors and my leaders as well. Mm-hmm. So that's, a, that's one, one thing, that we hold the doctrine of sin into, in our hands. And then the second part of that question was, how, how did you phrase the tradition piece? Do you um, remember? Over-reliance on tradition. Mm. That's kind of how I framed mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I think Socrates actually said, I think it was Socrates who said, the unexamined life is the life not worth living. Mm. And so my, my, my advice there would be, we should examine our traditions. Mm. And so at, when we started Sacred City... I had lived my life completely unmoored from traditions. I grew up charismatic. We had no traditions. And I started studying the tradition, the historic Orthodox traditions of Christianity, saw that they were formative, that traditions are meant to form us in a certain way. And I thought, okay, we threw the baby out with the bathwater a little bit in charismaniacs, as being charismaniacs. (laughs) And got rid of all this tradition. And then we formed our own charis- our own traditions that were just weird. Mm. You know, like charismatic people have their own traditions too. But we should evaluate that. Evaluate each one of our traditions and say, is this God honoring? Are there foundations here in scripture? Um, one of the things that blows me away is how many Christian parents teach. They lie to their kids and they teach like, t- they teach Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. And not the fact like, St. Nicholas and the actually historical Orthodox Christian teaching that he was a real man and he did some good things and all this. But they teach actually Santa Claus, like comes down the chimney and does all this magic stuff. And these kids that are in my kids' class at school, my kids are like, hey, that St. Nicholas was a guy or blah, 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 but Santa Claus, he ain't real. And these kids are like 10 years old and they're like, yes, he is. And then they go back to their Christian parents and their Christian parents love the tradition of Santa Claus mm-hmm. so much, their Christian parents lie to them and continue to lie to them mm-hmm. about Santa Claus being real. And I'm like, what are you, you're lying to your children and you're building a tradition based on a lie because you think it's fun, but then you're telling them about Jesus in the same exact way. And so when this kid turns a teenager... What's going to stop this kid from going, you lied to me about Santa Claus. Are you lying to me about Jesus? Mm -hmm. So it drives me crazy. Santa Claus is fun. You know, if your kids know it's fake and know that you're, you are freaking Santa Claus, Mm -hmm. you know, that you're taking his place right now. But it it blows my mind how Christians can do that. that, And they, in good conscience, lie Mm -hmm. to their children that Santa Claus is real. You know, it just blows. It's the same as the flowery font. Because it's fun and cute. Yeah. They wanna, yeah. Yeah. And they're basically saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. I'm your parent. I'm your parent. I'm your parent. And then they grow up and realize, you lied to me. Mm-hmm. Well, what else did you lie to me about? You're literally sowing deceit in your relationship with your kids. Mm-hmm. I think I was, that's what I was kind of hitting on earlier, just kind of about, about traditions. Like, what's a, like you, you gave the, the Christmas, you know, Santa Claus example. Like, what, what would you teach your kid in, in that point? as a, a gospel-centered man that is raising his family up? And what does that look like? I just tell my kids the truth. I say, and I, and I, I go into the whole history, and we've got stuff we post every Christmas around here about St. Nicholas and where mm-hmm. the, the whole tradition was founded, and it's a good tradition. But then I go, but we give, we give gifts to one another because God gave his greatest gift to us, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. the Advent. And so we give gifts to others. And so now... Parents give gifts to their children, and we give gifts to our family and our friends, and we give gifts to them because, you know, out of that tradition. But we're giving because God gave us Christ first. So it's a fun thing to do. We still hang stockings on the thing. I don't care. We'll have, I don't think we have any Santa Claus around the house, but I, I ain't afraid to put up a Santa Claus or anything like that. Um, but we just tell our kids right away. And our kids, they, enjoy, they love Christmas, and we go all out. We do... Mm-hmm. I put Christmas lights up on our house and I go like full Griswold at our house. <laughs> and, and I'm like, why do we do this? We do this because Jesus is the light of the world. And so we're going to light up our neighborhood. So you can have the same fun. I do the Christmas tree. We do all the stuff, but then we do the Advent candles and we do 
Advent devotionals, and we do all that. And so all we're doing is redeeming, we're redeeming these traditions. And I think I've like noticed, like talking with a lot of parents is they lie because they don't know the truth themselves, you know? So like just for you to be able to explain that, like it could give them a new perspective, like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Now I can explain it to my kids yeah. that way. So that's yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> so we can't add to scripture whether by new revelations or traditions of men. He goes on to the next section. Nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word. Now, necessary again. We see the word necessary again. He's saying the word is not enough to save people. The Holy Spirit has to awaken the mind or awaken the heart for us to, or illuminate for us to understand the word. That's why an unbeliever, an atheist, can read the word of God and come to completely different conclusions and say, this thing is so dumb, it doesn't even make sense, there's contradictions. Mm. Because his heart is not being illuminated by the, by the Spirit of God. Mm. Uh, scripture itself says, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So the letter can actually condemn us, shows us all the things we're doing wrong, but the Spirit gives life. But the Spirit illuminates through the Word. Mm. So that's, that's how it works. Now listen to this. This is... What Jesus says in John chapter 6, verses, I think I'll probably read 44 through 46. This is what Jesus says. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Hmm. So Romans 1 says, you know, no one seeks after God. No one comes after God. There aren't atheists out in the world right now hoping and begging and pleading to find God. If God were only real, I'm searching after him right now, I want to find him. No. The only reason people search after God is if God himself is drawing them in. Hmm. Keep reading. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. And then he goes into, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Jesus here is teaching that no one will believe in him unless the Father draws him. That means for us, so people are like, just believe the gospel. All you got to do is believe the gospel. Actually, that's not true. An unbeliever cannot believe the gospel unless the Spirit of God draws him. Mm-hmm. Unless the Spirit of God illuminates him. Mm-hmm. So who is primary in salvation? God is. Because God awakens our eyes, God softens our heart, God woos us, God God draws us, God brings us in, and the Spirit opens our eyes to then hear the word, hear the gospel, and respond to it. Hmm. Any, Any thoughts on that? Questions on that? Where would you say illumination comes in with like some of like the secondary things, like um, I don't know, I guess just after what we just talked about, like Calvinism versus Arminianism, mm-hmm. or like like we would believe a reformed tradition. So, what what is that something that also takes the spirit's illumination of the text, or is um, okay, so that's that's a good question. What the Westminster Confession here says, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as revealed in the Word. So I would say no. You don't need the Spirit to... Uh, you need the Spirit to understand how sa- the, everything's necessary for salvation, mm-hmm. Right? But then to understand the teachings on se- on morality, on sexual morality, you don't need the the whole. You don't necessarily need the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. for that. You can deduce those things logically. Okay. So, 
understanding scripture is not um, anti-logic or anti-mind. God tells us to love him with all of our mind. Hmm. So there isn't like some kind of special logic needed. Mm-hmm. Um, we need illumination to understand that we are sinners, that we need Jesus, that Jesus lived the life that we lived, or we should live, and he died the death that we deserve, and that now we can have righteousness from him. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see that, mm-hmm. to be saved. We don't need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see how we should treat the poor or how we should you know, interpret other clear texts. Yeah. They're just logically deduced from Scripture. Okay. <clears throat> but the Spirit will... Um, as you, if anybody, any Christians read the Bible before, you know the Spirit has awakened you, or opened your eyes, or revealed something new and fresh to you. Mm-hmm. So the Spirit does speak to us through the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. He says this text is for you right now, or whatever. You know, he does things like that. Okay, um, uh, let's keep going. And that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God. So means basically your church service, the government of the church the way that you structure the church. So like we're an elder-led church. Hmm. Common to human action and societies, which are to be ordered by the light of nature. We talked about this before. Natural revelation, natural law, and Christian prudence. That just means wisdom. Hmm. According to the general rules of the word, which are always to be observed. Um, now, you've got a couple unique texts to this, mm-hmm. don't you, in 1 Corinthians? Yeah. Or wait, do you have 1 Corinthians 11? Mm-mm. No, no you've got yeah. Okay. I don't find the specific. 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verses 13 and 14. 13 and 14, all right. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. All right. Now, that not that a weird text? That is a weird text. We would say that's a controversial text. Most of us would read it and go, what the heck's he talking about? Read it again slowly. Right. Judge for yourselves. Pause. Judge for yourselves. What, what does that mean? Make your yeah. own judgments. So he's not saying, here's what God says. Mm. Right? He's saying, Ju- judge for yourselves. Now, go on. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? Okay, this is unique. Paul does a couple different things. Sometimes his his argument is based on the Word of God and on creation. And he says, man, you know, man should... Uh, uh, marriage is for a man and a wife, mm. and and husbands should lead their wife. We go back to Genesis 1. We see that in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. This is how God created it. But on some things, like this specifically, the way they dressed in that culture, women had their head covers with head, head scarves. They had cult- They had just things that were passed down from culture. So in, the, in that day and age, they were just culturally true. And he says, judge for yourself. Is it right for a woman to 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 to, uh, to speak without her head or to pray to God without her head uncovered? Judge for yourself. Is that a is that right for your culture? I don't know. Is it doesn't nature, natural law teach? You know, blah 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 blah. And so he's showing here there's a difference between biblical commands and things that are culturally cultural norms. Mm. And so what the Westminster Divines are saying is there are some things about the way we worship God, our gatherings. There are some things about um, the government of the church that are going to be determined not by divine revelation, this is the way you have to do it, but they're going to be determined by the cultural norms. They're common to human action and societies, which are to be ordered by the light of nature, Christian wisdom or Christian prudence, and according to the general rules of the word. So they don't go against the word, but um, there is freedom in these things. But you should take in account your your culture and how you do things, right? Can you guys think of any illustrations on this? Uh, this year. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, do we social distance at our gathering? Do we wear masks? Are they mandatory, recommended? Uh, Great question. Yeah. 
Great example. Okay, so the Westminster says we should take principles from the Word of God and the light of nature, natural revelation. Hmm. Here's a, a controversial statement that most people don't have never even heard before. Natural revelation is divinely inspired just as much as special revelation. That means the what we learn in science, what we learn, I mean just one, this is one avenue. What we learn through science is just as true as what we learn through scripture. The question the problem is Scientists make mistakes, so it not so it's not, we're not saying that science is divinely inspired, mm-hmm. because we can come up. But let's just say the rule of gravity, mm-hmm. right? We we would say you break the law of gravity. The law of gravity breaks you, <laughs> just like you commit adultery. Adultery will will break you. You're breaking the law of God. That will break you eventually, mm-hmm. spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially. F- f- you break your family. All those things. Mm-hmm. The same thing is true for science. We are not afraid of science in any way. Hmm. What is real about the world, God set it up. Hmm. So we don't have to be afraid of that. That's it, the way God set the world up. So when it comes to this, the issue of the coronavirus and how we should gather, we should be listening to science. Now, the problem is is that we've got epidemiologists right now that say one thing and we have epidemiologists that say the other thing. I have been saying over and over and over, because I have. there's a lot of people that just say, you know, trust science, believe science, and I've been joking and be like, oh, do, do you know science? Like, does, does science call you at home? Do you have a direct <laughs> line to science? Hey, science, um, tell me, what, what's the deal with the coronavirus? I just need to know. Science is a method, a scientific method. Mm-hmm. Science is secondary, basically. So we're, we're receiving all the information from science through scientists. And we know scientists are also sinners themselves. And so some scientists suppress the truth of God and they have their own biases. And so we can't trust every scientist. Hmm. And so what I've been saying is we trust science 100%. Christians should never fear science. Science is how God made the world. It's the revelation of, of the natural law. But Science itself, <laughs> science itself speaks very slowly, like a decade late, most of the time, <laughs> or more. And so we argue about, does the earth travel around the sun, or does this, we did back in the day, or does the sun travel around the earth? Science, the scientific method, it takes a while for us to discover that, right? Mm-hmm. But once we discover the truth of it, boom, it's truth. Mm-hmm. Just as much as the word of God is truth, mm-hmm. Okay. But when it comes to epidemiology and all this kind of stuff, the problem is um, what people are usually saying is just trust the science is they're making an appeal to authority and they're just saying trust scientists. Mm-hmm. Well, then the, the scientists on the right say one thing and the scientists on the left say the other thing. And then what do you who, now? Which scientists? Which yeah. scientists, mm-hmm. right? And so they're not actually making an appeal to truth. They're making an appeal to authority. And so we would say we have to trust the truth. And so whatever science reveals is going to be in line with the, the will of God and the word of God so we can trust science. And so 10 years down the road, we're probably going to know for sure what the, the, what the right way to handle uh, COVID-19 was, right? We're mm-hmm. probably going to see we should have all, you know, done this or we should all have done that or we should not have worried about it and just got herd immunity I don't know what the, I don't know but 10 years down the road or maybe even 3 years down the road we'll know mm-hmm. but right now we don't know because science itself speaks slowly scientists they'll speak right now mm-hmm. right I mean they get they get on the cover of time magazine if they get if they want to speak so that's that's the where, where they're at right now so we so what do we have to do we have to we have to use christian prudence we have to use christian wisdom we have to listen to the, the prevailing scientists of their day and the way that they're interpreting the data. And so, and we have to go to the data as much as we can, and we have to make wise decisions on, on how best to worship God in a crazy, in a crazy season. But there are some Christians out there that just try to throw away science and just say, God says in his word that we should gather together. 
Well, hold on. God also said in the Old Testament that anybody who had leprosy should be sent away and quarantined. Like, that's what God did back mm-hmm. then. And I had one, one guy told me, well, yeah, but only the people that had the disease had to be quarantined. So none of us should be quarantined. I'm like, uh, leprosy is a little different than COVID-19. Leprosy, you can see it on your body. You got it, bro. Your flesh is white and it's falling off, right? COVID-19, you can't see who's got it, who doesn't have it. So we can't just quarantine people because we don't know who who to quarantine, right? Asymptomatic, asymptomatic people. So that's crazy how that made its way into this discussion on the Word of God, but that's a great example. It's a great example. So uh, we're to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence. Um yeah, any other, any other ways? Any other ways that this principle finds its way into, into the church? I've got some. What kind of music should you play? Mm. Mm. You become a Christian and just throw all your tracks out? <laughs> what? <laughs> I said you become a, a Christian and then throw all your old tracks away. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm. So can you, have, can, can you have a bass line? Can you have some subs in church? Right? Now... So, and that th- this is, like, do you just, so there's some churches out there that only sing the Psalms. Even though the Psalms themselves talk about having uh, instruments and all kinds of different instruments. And there's some churches, Orthodox Presbyterian Church being one of them, that they don't have any instruments. They just sing hymns, chanting style, Benedictine monk style. Um, what, what type of music should you play? How loud should the music be? Can you have lights on the stage? A fog machine. How long should your service be? How long should the preaching be? Right? All, what version of the Bible should you use? All of these are answers that aren't clearly expressed in the Word of God, though we can do, do some principles from the Word of God. So at Sacred City, we've drawn a line in the sand. We said... We want to be contemporary in the, in the sense of we want to have good contemporary music. We think we can have instruments. We think we can crank it up. We think we can be passionate in our worship. But we're also constrained. I think from, from some other principles that I've, I think we should be distinct from the world. Mm. And so we shouldn't be a show. So I've said no to small uh, folk. Uh, what's it called? Fog machines. I've said no to you know to crazy lights, and even um, too much stuff on the screens. From the get go, you can do moving backgrounds and all kind of stuff on the screens. But I said no. Let's just keep it simple. Black and white. Boom. Just the words. I want to focus on the text. I want to focus on what we're singing. And I've given Joel a lot of creative freedom on how we're singing those things that mm. that are. Can- our contemporary. How long should we preach? John Calvin says, ah, anything over an hour, you're probably pushing it. You know, I'm like, eh, I think that principle is pretty good. Even though a lot of preachers today preach 30 minutes, preach 15 minutes. Some of, some people preach literally 15 minutes. Mm. Like that ain't a sermon, man. That's an introduction. I don't know how to do anything shorter than 15 minutes. So anything of substance. So all of these things were ruled not by clearly, clearly led, laid down guidelines from scripture, but principles that we deduce things from. So every aspect of our church, you can ask me, why do we do it this way? And you're not going to get, oh, because everybody does it that way. Oh, because our parents did it that way. Oh, because this denomination did it. If you ask me why we do something, I'm going to give you a very distinct and clear reason from the Bible or from natural revelation why we do things this way. Why do I preach an hour? Because I think we need to learn how to have sustained attention on things that matter. Mm. Because I think we need to, I don't want you to spend just an hour in worship on Sunday because you're spending way more than that in Netflix and way more than that being formed in other, in other ways. So I want to preach for about an hour. That's what I want to do on, mm. on Sundays. And I think it's important for us. I think it's important for our kids to learn how to sit still and listen to these things. I could go on and on about our liturgy and all the things that we do. But, um, that's why we do it. So, um, yeah. Any any other questions mm-hmm. on that one? I'm I'm trying to decipher if this is like a sigh of relief for elders, or 
maybe adds to what can already be like frustrating or difficult because like it would be really nice to have a clear answer from scripture as to what to do all the time in every situation but then at the same time the confession gives like I, don't know, I, th- I think it offers a sigh of relief in yeah. knowing I'm, I'm trying and, it, and not just that we always have to remember that every like God doesn't condemn culture he, create, he put us on the earth and he told us to be fruitful and multiply, make governments, make families, make culture. And there is no like, here is the perfect culture. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the best music? Well, I can give you my answer, mm-hmm. right? But it's completely, it's, it's dependent upon culture. And one of the beauties that we see in the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation 21 is the cultures of the earth and the kings of the earth bring their cultural creations into the kingdom of God and they all worship God. Hmm. So that means we, you know, one, well, let me just give you one example. We've got salt, we'll have salt, maybe we'll have salsa dancing in the kingdom of God. Maybe we'll have rap music in the kingdom of God. Redeemed rap music, clearly. The <laughs> lyrics do matter. Um, the, you know, the, those are things like the beat, the rhythm, the style, um, we might have that in the kingdom of God. Obviously, we're not talking about the, the demonic, worldly culture of just money, sex, and promiscuity. We won't have that in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. But um, there is no perfect culture. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have all of that. And so we get to contextualize the unchanging word of God mm-hmm. to changing culture. Right? And so Beethoven, Bach, and you can move on down. Country music. I know some of you don't think it's going to be there. I mean, what do you, could you have country after you don't have any more tears anymore? I don't know. I don't know if you can. Uh, but folk music, you know, bluegrass, rap, R&B, all, you know, all of the different styles you're going to have. What's the right, what's the Christian way to dress? You can't say that, Right. And so we do have freedom there. So yeah, it, it, it does create a little more work on the elders' part of contextualizing the Word of God and contextualizing for the, the people of God. But it's also, it also, it's also freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also freedom. And so at Sacred City, in, in Acts 29, the network we're part of, we talk about having things in, we hold things in a closed hand and an open hand. Closed hand, everything that's clearly revealed to us in Scripture, we hold in a closed hand. And everything that's like fuzzy, or it's it's an implication of the gospel, or it's an imp, you know it's working itself out, and it could be interpreted multiple ways, or it's from culture, like Paul says, long hair, short hair, head covered, not covered. We're gonna hold those in an open hand to the best of our ability. So, from this discussion today, guys, I hope that um, again we're just building out this doctrine of the scriptures, and I hope that you were encouraged by it. I hope Maybe you learn some terms. You learn some things by it. If you got any questions, please send me an email. Uh, let us know what you're thinking. You got any questions, and we'll talk to you as soon as we can. Listen, it would be really helpful for us if you would share this podcast. If you would like this podcast, if you would even go on um, the podcast app or into iTunes and you would rate us and you would leave a comment there, it would really help other people find us. And so. Uh, We are doing this because we want to help everyday people understand theology and understand God and want to understand how to live their faith in everyday life. So we love you guys. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon.